Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It is the 21st of March. Wow. I don't even think I was aware of how close to the end of March we are. It is a beautiful morning. I'm waiting for the sun to get up a little more to get my background not so hazy, but uh, it's happening. I need to get some better lighting, but working on it. Well, it's nice to um, be relaxing on a Monday morning. Had a wonderful service yesterday. We, we had a lot of people in the first service and the second. It was uh, usually this time at March. People start leaving, but the temperature is still very cool down here. And um, people really are still enjoying their vacation. 68 degrees right now. The low was 59. It's supposed to get up to 82 today. Well, let's look over at some interesting things going on. Uh, some things that did happen in history on this day. And let's look at... Feast of St. Benedict, patron saint of the Western monks. <laughs> I can't. Patron saint of the cave explorers. Hey, if you're a cave explorer, this is the day. I never understood how they get all the patron saints for this stuff. March to Montgomery, uh, March 21st, 1965. Under the protection of federal troops, Martin Luther King and 3,000 marchers begin their five-day march to Salem, Montgomery, Alabama. 25,000 demonstrators gathered there where he delivered his famous speech and his famous lines, How Long Will It Take? First rock and roll concert, 1952, the Moondog Coronation Ball, Pocahontas' funeral, March 21st, 1617. Watergate. Richard Nixon and his counsel, John Dean, discuss offering clemency for hush money as part of a cover-up. Mm. Well, that looks... Oh, the monkey trick? That was today? The teaching of evolution of public schools is outlawed by the state of Tennessee on March 21st, 1925, which later brought, brought in the Scopes trial. And look how it's flipped. Now the teaching of evolution is outlawed. You're going to prison for that. Well, let's get a couple of uh, dad jokes here. Why are books on anti-gravity so popular? Because they're hard to put down. How about this one? How do you get a blind person to see? Usually by boat. <laughs> That's slightly disrespectful, but anyway. Better do another one. How was Rome split in two? With a pair of Caesars. Caesars. <laughs> Caesars in Spanish. The pair of Caesars. That's pretty bad. All right, let's move over to the reading for this morning. And if I got it up there correctly, you will see that we are in Numbers 21 and 22 and Matthew 18. So, Father God, thank you for this morning and giving us another beautiful morning. And uh, most of us have an opportunity to go to church yesterday openly, legally, without masks and separation and all the other stuff. We just thank you that that we're able to 
enjoy what we used to enjoy, coming back into a sense of sanity. So we praise you and ask you to guide us now through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers 21. When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by way of the Etherim, then he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. The Lord heard that the voice of Israel delivered up by the Canaanites. And they utterly destroyed them in their cities. Thus the name of the place was called Hormah. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water. And we loathe this miserable food. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Now the sons of Israel moved out and camped at Obas. They journeyed from Oboth and camped at Yabrim and the wilderness, which is opposite Moab, to the east. From there they set out and camped at the Wadi Zered, and from there they journeyed and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that comes out of the border of the Amorites. For the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore it is said in the book of wars of the Lord, Wareb and Safua, and the Wadis of the Arnon and the slope of the Wadis, that extend to the side of Ar to the, and leans to the border of Moab. From there they continue to bear, or beer, that is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Assemble the people that I might give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up a well, sing to it the well which the leaders sank, which the nobles of the people dug with the scepter and with their staff. And from the wilderness, they continued to Mathana. And from Mathana to Nathliel. From Nathliel to Bamoth. And from Bamoth to the valley that is in the land of Moab, at the top of the Pishkah, which overlooks the wasteland. Verse 21. Then Israel sent the messengers to Sihon, the king of Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn off into the field or vineyards. We will not drink the water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through the border. But Sihon would not permit Israel to pass through the border. So Sihon gathered all his people and went out against Israel in the wilderness and came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. 
Then Israel struck him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, as far as the sons of Ammon. For of the border of the sons of Ammon was Jazir. Israel took all these cities, and Israel lived in all the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon and in all their villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land out of his hand as far as the Arnon. Therefore, those who use Proverbs say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built, so let the city of Sihon be established. For a fire went forth from Heshbon and a flame from the town of Sihon. It devoured Ar and Moab the dominant heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, O O Moab! You are ruined, O people of Chemosh. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to the Amorite king Sihon, but we have cast them down. Heshbon is ruined as far as Dibon. Then we have laid waste even to Nopha, which reaches to Madiba. Thus Israel lived in the land of the Amorites. Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they captured its villages and dispossessed the Amorites who were there. When they turned and went up by the way of Bashan, and Og the king of Bashan went out with all the people for the battle of Edri, the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hands and all the people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon. So they killed him and all his sons until there was no remnant left him, and they possessed his land. Chapter 22. Then the sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan, opposite Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zephor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will lick up all that is around us, as ox lick up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zephor, the king of Moab at that time. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pathor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. Now, therefore, please come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and He whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees of divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and and repeated Balak's words to him, and said to him, Spend the night here, and I will bring back word to you, as the Lord may speak to me. And the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zephor, the king of Moab, was sent to me. Behold, there is a people who came out of Egypt, and they covered the surface of the land. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. 
So Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. The leaders of Moab arose and went to Balak and said to him, Balaam refused to come with us. Balak again sent leaders more numerous and more distinguished than the former. They came to Balaam and said, Thus says Balak, the son of Zephor, Let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me, for I will indeed honor you richly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Please come then curse this people for me. Balaam replied to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything, neither small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Now please, you also stay here tonight, and I will find out what else the Lord will speak to me. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If these men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you shall you do. So Balaam arose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the leaders of Moab. But God was very angry because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of the adversary against him. Now he was riding on a donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. And the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyard with a wall on one side, a wall on the other side. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, and she pressed herself into the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right hand, or to the left. Then the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. She lay down under Balaam, so Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery of me. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary because your way was contrary to me. But the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would have surely killed you just now and let her live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Now then, if it is displeasing to you, I will turn back. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but you shall speak only the word which I tell you. So Balaam went along with the leaders of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is in the Arnon border, at the extreme end of the border. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not urgently send to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I really unable to honor you? So Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come now to you. Am I able to speak anything at all? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I shall speak. And Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath-Huzoth. Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent some to Balaam and the leaders who were with him. 
When it came about in the morning that Balak took Balaam and brought him to the high places of Baal, and he saw from there a portion of the people. Well, we're going <laughs> to spend a minute and look at these interesting things that happened here. It's kind of amazing to think about how, how many things happen in the Old Testament that just defy explanation on the normal level that were just total miraculous. But Balaam's story is the most famous. And um, it's hard to imagine how Balaam was a prophet of Yahweh. This is the big question. And I don't, still, I'm not 100% certain of exactly whose prophet he was. He was far away in Pithom. It seems like he was a, well, he was a prophet for hire, obviously, in the sense that he allowed himself to be bought off. But um, it seems that he was a prophet that had, he's, he tried to communicate with more than one God. He was seemed to be accustomed with the practices of Baal and sacrificing to Baal as well as Yahweh. He had knowledge of Yahweh. And yet he himself was not identifying with them as being part of Israel. So it is, it's, it's a mystery and why he would ever consider for a moment to curse Israel. It also shows that it seems, to, it seems that he was not just a prophet of Yahweh. It seems that he had the ability to, or had the ability, some ability to communicate with demonic beings. And one theory is because he was being used in a supernatural sense, he had the ability to try and get into communication with some of these entities that God chose to use him, that God began to speak to him. And he was very respectful of the spiritual world. And when God spoke to him, he says, here I am, your servant, Lord. It does say uh, he does call him his God at one at one point, but it's uh, boy, it's interesting because if he was a servant of Yahweh, what was he doing in Pithom? How did he get there? Why wasn't he in Egypt? You see all the issues and the problems. Um, if he was an Israelite, he should have been with Israel in Egypt. So we don't know. It seems to me that he was just he's one messed up prophet. That's for sure. And uh, all the things that go on around him trying to curse Israel is quite funny. Now, he doesn't go the first time, but he, he does saddle, saddle up to go the second time. Even though the Lord tells him to go, he saddles up and that's, the Lord stands against him in the way. You have to assume at least that he was going with an ulterior motive. Uh, God knows the heart. We can often feign obedience to the Lord and, and yet have a different motive. And it was something like that because the Lord stood in his way as his adversary. And so he must have been uh, had something else going on there. So then he says, okay, I will let you go. But again, you to do only what I speak and uh, to represent Yahweh. Well, the whole thing about Og and uh, the previous chapter going through, trying to get to the promised land in the desert, they're still wandering, of course, in the desert trying to follow God's lead. 
but we've advanced quite a few years, if my memory serves, by the time they're, they're dealing with Og and, uh, and Sihon. And uh, they just want to go through to get to the land, and they say no, which was all obviously a part of God's plan because God wanted them to take them out. Again, the whole command that we see from God to Moses as they go into the promised land is when they were to take out all the tribes that had any connection historically with the Nephilim, those fallen ones that had come started, or the fallen ones would come down to earth in Genesis 6 and started the race of the Nephilim. It was tainted DNA. It was, they were bad. And um, God decreed that they were to be destroyed. Og was a part of that. So they go in there against the giant who was, we'll read later, who was probably somewhere between 10 and 14 feet tall. Big guy, and there's just as wide as they are tall, huge. And it was able to take him out along with his people, and they get the, the land on the east side of the Jordan, which there we see, um, uh, which they will occupy and split up when they go into the land. All right, we will jump over to, I believe it's Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling blocks come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Verse 12. What do you think if any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is strained? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray so it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish if your brother sins go and show him his faults in private if he listens to you you have won your brother but if he does not listen to you take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell them to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you 
that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For wherever, for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell on the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have pity, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So the fellow who the fellow slave fell to the ground began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went in and threw him in the prison until he should pay back what he owed. So then his fellow slave saw what had happened. They were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, the Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that i have mercy on you and his lord moved with anger handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart pretty amazing huh pretty powerful and strong about this issue of forgiveness i love the way he 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 the, the progression of the chapter it starts with the lost sheep and going after the one that is lost, God cares for the sheep as a pastor, leading them in green pastures. But when that one is lost, what do you do? You go look for him. And then he jumps over to the brother who's in sin. You go to him. It's the same, same analogy. When they're lost, they're usually in sin. They're doing something against God. So you were to go to them as the, uh, the in a sense, the pastor, in one sense, looking for them, looking for the sheep who are lost. And uh, you go tell them, hey, this is why you're lost. You're off over here in sin. And come back. And if they come back, you've won your brother. They, You both rejoice that they've come back. It's a beautiful time of rejoicing. If they don't, well, then you take, a, take another shepherd with you and uh, try and get them unstuck wherever they're stuck, up on the mountain, so to speak. And if they uh, refuse, they say, no, nope, I don't want to come back. And uh, exposing themselves to the wolves, obviously, because they're out there alone. Well, then you bring the rest of the body, you bring the elders and stuff, and you say, look, unless you come back and repent, you're going to get eaten up. We're not here to condemn you. We're here to try and bring you back into the loving arms of the Savior and into the safety of the fold. And so this is the really the whole issue of church discipline when you go toward somebody who's in sin um, you have to point them out the bible says we have that responsibility go to them when they're in sin it's pointed out and the goal is restoration is to bring them back and so it's uh 
it's important. People feel embarrassed or they feel uh, they're going to lose their friend. I don't want to go talk to them because they're not going to like what I have to say. But this is what we're called to. And uh, people will get mad at you and say all kinds of horrible things perhaps against you. But if you're doing it biblically, biblically, then you're doing what the Lord is telling us to do right here. And you put it in the Lord's hands. Pray that the Lord will bring them back. But the other issue is the forgiveness part. There's oftentimes those people that go off of the people that are have issues of forgiveness and those kind of things, they get mad and they don't want to forgive. And and then so maybe this is a continuation of seeing that same idea because, hey, if you've been forgiven trillions of dollars of debt and your master gave you that and you hold bitterness you against a brother who owes you, you know, $10, the, the comparison is, is so overwhelming. You were given forgiven everything by the Lord of the universe, your master, for your sin, everything that you've done in your life. You've been forgiven that because you pleaded for him. You asked him, if you're a believer, please forgive me. Now, if someone sins against you and they ask you for forgiveness, we are not to harbor bitterness. We're to forgive them from the heart. And it can be a challenge, but that's what we're called to do. Okay, thank God for this time. Father God, thank you for this morning, and as always, God, blessing us, blessing us with this time together. We ask, God, that you would bring us into your throne room, God. Allow us to be, God, men and women that are willing to do whatever you want us to do as far as looking for the lost sheep, going out to the people that are hurting, recognizing, Father, there's a lot of, division that has happened in the church over COVID in the last two years. And a lot of people have had their feelings hurt, even uh, stuff regarding the vaccine or not vaccine and um, things that should not divide us. God, my prayer is right now that you bring restoration, that whatever, if we're harboring any unforgiveness or any bitterness, we let that go. If we've wandered away and we're the lost sheep, that we come back, realize that it's the enemy trying to divide, trying to separate. So, Father, we plead with you. We thank you for your mercy. But guide us. Be, the, be our pastor and guide us as a body. Help us see the, the ways that we have wandered off or the attitudes of our hearts where we, where we have not seen forgiveness and, uh, or extended forgiveness and help us to do that. So thank you for my brothers and sisters and thank you for... The things you are doing, we want to continue to lift up Francisco in Guadalajara. He's waiting for the doctors to really give him a prognosis and a study on what's going on, and he should get that tomorrow. So we want to ask you to help him to eat and sleep and rest and take any um, inflammation or swelling or in, in going on in his brain. You take that you could God diminish those tumors. So we lift that, him up to you. And we ask, again, your continued blessing on all those that are dealing with treatments and, and reconstructive surgery, things that have to be done so our bodies continue to function. Pray to you, heal my shoulder is all messed up, God, that that could start functioning again. You touch Renee and her back and uh, just her, the way she, her body's feeling. So just bring us, God, into wholeness, all of us, and help us 
to keep our minds focused on you and and not let our aches and pains distract us. So thank you, God, for what you are doing uh, in our lives. Thank you for blessing us. And um, God, we will just put all this before you for, for your evaluation, God, the things that are in our mind. There's people that, there are things going on that we know we need to give over to you, but we're resistant. We're thick-headed. People in our family, we know we need to forgive. We need to let those things go. We need to walk in freedom. If we don't, God, we hold on to these things. They bring us into such depression and such difficulty and stress. Father, help us not be victims to the stress that's going on around us. Just deliver us from those things. Thank you for church yesterday, the people that came for for the way your word is going out, not only here, but in the churches that all my brothers and sisters are go to. Thank you that uh, we have the ability to preach loudly and legally and online. It's a privilege that one day will be taken away. So we rejoice in it. We thank you for it, God. And we thank you for those that are being drawn closer to you. May you just continue to use the words that were spoken yesterday from the pulpit to bring life into the lives of people, to bring them closer to you and help us, God, walk very close to you. Strengthen our walks in these latter days. Thank you, Father, for a beautiful morning that you've given us. And we want to worship you this entire day, God. We want to remember the God of our salvation. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, that will do it for us for now. We will see you tomorrow at the same time. So God bless you guys. We will see you tomorrow. Thank you.